Why, hello there, and welcome back to Wrong Opinions Only with your hosts, Justin and Kayla. And we have a variety of things to discuss today, Kayla, because we've been going to the movies, we've been watching reality TV, and we're getting close to the end of the year, so we got to start just cramming stuff into these episodes. And I feel like we really have, because when I say, and you say we've been to the theater, we've been going like at least once a week lately. There's been a lot of stuff in November, which is nice because October was a bit of a dry spell as far as movies worth going out to see. But before we start, Justin, you just celebrated a birthday. So how was your birthday? Yeah, I'm the big, uh, have to think about it every time, three, four now. So yep. yeah, it's just, I think it's one of those birthdays where I'm just, whatever i'm getting older i don't need to celebrate too much anymore you know? <laughs> yeah yeah my I wife agree with uh, that. got up early like wrapped a gift put it on my nightstand so it'd be there when i woke up in the morning which is very nice i woke up did my whole normal routine showered started working and then she comes over at like lunchtime is like oh did you already like know what the gift is so you didn't open it i was like what are you talking about she's like there's a massive like very colorful bag that was sitting one foot from your face when you woke up i was like i didn't even realize it so that's the headspace i've kind of been in it just has come and passed for me kayla what'd she get you she got me the new uh michael lewis book going infinite where he uh, is chronicling the sam bankman freed situation with uh ftx and that whole debacle so You've really been crushing literature these days, you know? It's true. I got to applaud you this year. Well, crush. I've been buying a lot of books. My reading has progressively gotten worse as the year's gone on, as I've gotten busy with other things. So I'm like halfway through like three different books. And I need to just. Okay, that I relate to more with you because that's absolutely what I've been doing is just nonstop buying books and then being eaten alive guiltily when I don't pick them up in lieu of doing something else. Exactly. I'm like, well, I should read right now, but I was like, but there's also six podcasts I need to catch up on. Ooh. And it's fantasy football season. Uh, Really football season. I just need like a year off of football season. Not of me not watching, (laughs) but the NFL just needs to take a year off so that I have those five months where I can actually be productive and not be useless on Sundays or Thursday nights or Saturdays and Sundays during the playoffs. So it just takes up so much time. I know it does because when you're out of sports, you don't realize how many games there are. And it just never kind of confounds me that that's, you know, football fans like have to watch all the teams that they don't like care for too. And then it's so like, no, this is the game at this time I have to watch. Or I'm just like, can you just get the highlights? And you got the same thing. You don't like those teams. Um, and it's just a persona, basically this entire NFL. And it feels like it gets longer and longer every year where I'm like, ah, it's summer. We're free. <laughs> and then it's like preseason and it's this. And I'm like, does it ever end? Does well, it ever end? They did you know? lengthen the season by a week last year. So that is semi-real. They've started making like these other leagues, the XFL and the you know mm-hmm. United States Football League. All these different factions are trying to get a summer football league going, but it's kind of not hitting. So I just need to uh, ma- manage my time better, I guess, Kayla. Between everything we are working on here, <laughs> set aside time to read. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like I'm not being productive when I'm reading when really that's probably the most productive thing I could be doing in that time. You know what it is? I think it's because we um, use our brains on so much of our activities, whether it's work or like the things, this podcast, all types of stuff, that when we are truly like want to just be a 
potato. We need something that we're just like watching and we can't we're like our brains are like, let's read this intense book and check it off. But we're like our our bodies and brains are like, you need to sit and stare at this TV light. Um like even uh we're recording this on Sunday, December third, but like yesterday we were showing the house to some prospective uh new daycare people for my wife's little business. And then uh, we were going to do D and D, and that got canceled. And I was just like, I, I don't know what to. What do I do? It's <laughs> two o'clock on a Saturday. It's raining out. I I was like, should I read? Oh, like go on the Peloton? Okay, watch a movie? Okay, like and I was just, <laughs> I felt so useless. Like this whole second half of yesterday that I was like, I need to wake up early and be productive on Sunday at least. God, this sounds like every therapy uh, session I've had <laughs> where I'm just like, um, sometimes I feel like if I'm not doing 12 things in the same hour, I'm doing nothing and um, I can't do that. So I'll just keep burning at the same energy for the rest of my life. Right. And she's like, no, Kayla, actually, that's how people have their breakdowns at like 50. And I'm like, oh, OK, 50? so you can't continue I'm ha- this I'm energy. I'm going to have a breakdown by 36. I don't know what you're talking about. Here, oh, Kayla. for us is accelerated. <laughs> so we're basically on watch. Yep. <laughs> any moment um i i liken it to um who is it tinkerbell who's like i need applause to live like we just need the things that we consider to be productive uses of our time all the time um or we disintegrate so you know things to work on well that's why we have the podcast and D yes. and working a ton and volleyball during volleyball season and we used mm-hmm. there used to be kickball and now there's football and now there's yep. just so many things, Kayla. And there's so many things. You know, I'd rather be busy than bored. So that's kind of my mentality. Very true. Very true. Um, it is December. It is Christmas shopping time. I've been out on these streets, Justin. I went out yesterday because I was like, you know what? I am a final week of Christmas shopper. It's just that's how it is. Um, it's hard for me to get the energy to go out with all the crowds and it's just like, did I get this for this person? And I don't know. And am I getting the right thing? Everyone was out on the streets. In fact, even the workers, um, the employees were like, this is worse than black Friday. Like I was at Kohl's and they were like, this is insane. This is not how it was on black Friday. So I don't know what it was about. Like everyone just trying to get their shopping done the first weekend of December, but it was wild have you been have you been knocking some stuff down on your list no i mean no. a couple things throughout the year i see and buy and be like all right let's save that for christmas and now i probably need to find those gifts that have been saved like four months ago in order to wrap them for christmas but mm-hmm. i am a real bad shopper this year especially with us and we got our doors and windows redone and there's landscape mm-hmm. like we've just had a lot of money going out so the money coming in has been uh been dwindled a little <laughs> bit here, yes. so it's going to be a tighter Christmas on our end, but uh, I've been trying to kind of stay ahead of it a little bit because I'm usually mm-hmm. a last week before Christmas, but I hate myself when I do that every year. I'm just same, like, why same. am I doing every this, year. but mm-hmm. I can't get the motivation to do it sooner? No, absolutely. It's the pressure. I think it's the pressure we need. Like We need that pressure of like, oh, the Christmas party's in three days and I don't have something for someone. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, this is exactly what we need. Yeah, I I agree with that. That's usually me, but I did try to get a couple things. Now, are you? How do you guys split Christmas shopping? Because I feel like usually it's like uh, my wife does all the shopping, and then I get like the three things for like my family or like you know this or that. Like, are uh, you guys pretty split? It's she probably does more of the shopping than me. 
Uh-huh. Uh, I try to come up with ideas. It's just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just bad at it because I always try to come up with like a different, unique idea. But when you try to yeah. do that every year, it just, it gets yes. more and more difficult because you're, you're running <laughs> yes. out of options when your friends and family only have so many hobbies or interests that you can really exploit. Right. So, you know, I was really pumped when I figured out the uh, Station Eleven thing for you. I think that was yes. last year or two years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. Like right up behind uh, Kayla's head there on the yep. screen. So, <laughs> but uh, it really, if I see something that I'm like, hey, I think this might be good for your dad, I'll get it for her. Right. And she buys stuff for, you know, my mom and like nieces and stuff pretty regularly. So, yeah. I guess it's probably 75% her, 25% me. As okay. I'm yeah. About. <laughs> I, think that, I think that checks out. Um, in other news, have you watched the House of the Dragon season two trailer that dropped the other day? I have not. I've just seen some of the stills from it, and it's already getting me hyped because it is still on track for summer 2024, right? Summer 2024, they weren't able to keep filming during the strike. Um, so that means that we're going to get a summer show. I mean, a lot of these shows, especially even HBO are like, we'll see you in 2025. So that kind of tells you how bleak the TV landscape is going to be next year. Um, I saw it. They did not have enough Rhaenyra for me. Um, I don't know what's going on, but um, Rhaenyra did not have one speaking line in this trailer. I mean, you saw her, but wild to me. Um, it was interesting. You know, I don't know how you feel about a trailer in December. Do you still have to wait till, I don't know, June, July? I don't know when it's going to drop. It's just summer of 2024. So it's like, we've had some distance, I think, since we have saw it, you know, where we were very up and down on the show. Definitely critical. So I feel like we're so like, yes, give me this like Game of Thrones world. Like we're, we're our hype meters going up. We'll see when we, I think probably you'll end up doing a rewatch too, as well as me closer to, and we'll see what well, we remember Definitely. how we felt about maybe how certain scenes were certain characters. Well, I think it's um, but, number one, it's the lack of prestige TV that we have out there right mm-hmm. now. So we're looking for kind of that, sit in front of your TV at the specified time on Sunday night to watch this new show. So we're like aching for that. And with the way season one ended, the last couple episodes were absolute fire. So it ended on a high note, which kind of gets everybody's hopes up for the entire massacre. That's going to be season two of hot D in case you forgot. Good old hot D. <laughs> yes. Hot D I could never forget for could never forget. I'm excited. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm, you know, there hasn't been a lot of TV that we're like, Oh, this is coming in four or five months. Can't wait to see what's going on. You know? So of course, look forward to our hot D takes when it's coming. All right, Justin, shall we get into the meat and bones of this episode? Meat and potatoes. Meat and Did potatoes. I, is, meat and what's bones, it saying? Kayla, I don't know what you're getting into there. You know, I've been on a bit of a horror kick lately, still going into December. So I, I guess it's just grim for me. Uh, meat and potatoes as you will. Let's roll. All right. Let's start with a little survivor refresher here. We've had some interesting uh, eliminations, tribal councils. The last one spoilers for uh, last week's episode. I'm so happy. I am so overjoyed. Pumped, Kayla. Pumped. They did it. They voted out Bruce. Bruce, who I've been like, how are you guys letting him continue? I, I on our Instagram live last week, I did, hey, 
everyone's afraid of his idol. Just make him use it. I just, I had no clue why they were protecting him for this long, despite everyone truly being annoyed with him. Bruce was on the list from week two. Because he won a couple times in a row when they were trying to make a big move. And then they were like, well, maybe it's not. No, get him to flush the idol. And better yet, Emily make the best move of the season so far. What a play by her to ingratiate herself to Bruce make him feel comfortable enough that they're going after Julie and then just switches at tribal. It was electric to watch. I don't know if I've seen the entire cast when somebody gets voted out this late in the game, all fist bumping, smiling, high-fiving <laughs> each other after he goes. They're, they're down to the final seven and they're like, yeah, fuck this guy. See ya. Woohoo. Like that was amazing, Kayla. In fact, the only sad people were the ones on the jury who were sad that I think they had to sit next to him in, uh, in Panderosa <laughs> and hang out with him. <laughs> I think they're like, no, keep him a little longer. Um, thank you for giving Emily her flowers. You know, I've been I've been early to the Emily game. Um, I know she's not hitting those physical competitions, the comps that you do like. I, I can agree. She's just not she's not getting it done, except for recently. Um, but you know, Emily, she, I, I relate most to Emily because when she's the first one to tap out and I look at those challenges, I'm like, yeah, same girl. <laughs> I really want sliding right down that pole. Oh yeah. Um, but look at her still making moves. She has been great. She is who I am rooting for now, which is might be a curse for me. Cause every time I'm rooting for somebody, they get voted out essentially, but she's had the toughest route the entire game. She's been in pretty much every single tribal council. I think, except for one, she's won. She got her first reward when, a couple of days ago, she hasn't won any individual immunities and she is still like the last person in the Lulu tribe, but she's finding who to talk to. She's changed her gameplay after receiving kind of words of wisdom or criticism from Caleb, depending on how you look at it. And now she's just kind of a, a critical cog here where she's the third person in this group, the fifth person in this group, and everybody needs her. And she would have been voted out day one if we didn't have somebody quit. So this is awesome. I am so pumped that Emily has had this crazy turnaround. Yeah, she's been good, especially because she, you know, listen, she came in hot. There's no kidding. I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is like line by line exactly how not to get past week one on Survivor. She definitely took everyone's input. And I've just seen the most most growth from her across each week especially when she tends to be the one that isn't with more members of her tribe she's been the solo lulu member in a lot of switch rounds and she was able to just try to help aid and be like i'm gonna help you out who should i vote for and just kind of be that person that blends in and i mean people love her so i'm a little worried as we get closer down to the line but emily is really i mean again this is the time people what are you going to say when they're asking you, why do you think you should win? And if you got nothing to say. And I, mean, I think she can put together a really good case. She's just eloquent. She yes. thinks things through. So I think she would be good if she got to that point. The problem is there are still what four of the seven are Reba members. So if they stay Reba strong, that's your final four, right? Cause with Emily, Jake and Katura are the ones that are going to be left out there. And, and I don't know about you, Kayla. I haven't watched every season of Survivor. I kind of watched the first few and then picked it back up a few years ago. But this is the best season I've watched I since I can't even remember when. I've loved this season. After the first, what, three weeks, it's had a great turnaround. Once they got the quitters out off of the beach, then uh, everything 
turned into blindsides and manipulation and people winning when they need to, or they're going home. Jake somehow sounds like an idiot as a, an attorney, but he keeps finding ways to, ways to get by. I don't quite understand it, but here we are. Do you again. think that's his Boston accent? Do you think, is there something about someone that just has that very heavy but kind of like people who have a certain Southern accent, unfortunately, some people just kind of put a certain like, oh, they're not so smart or whichever. I think Do you it think is like a part of it, especially like yeah. in that situation. But also he was trying to say something at tribal, not this past week, but the previous week. And he just got hung up in the air. Right. He started talking. It was like, uh, ooh, I don't. Mm, uh, he's like, I know I want to say something. I want to say something eloquent, but I don't want to sound like an idiot. I don't want to throw somebody under the bus, but I also want to stay. And he just, you could see his mind was working, but he couldn't formulate it into words. You know what is desperation is not like, I get the ick a bit from that feeling. So like, I know he is literally desperate and there's not much. He's just trying to like make friends where he can. He's trying to make him seem like he's worth keeping around, but it's just kind of like sad a bit that it is hard when Jake's on the screen, just like, please, I know nothing about what's going on, but just like, keep me in. It's a little like, but here's the thing. And just talking about gameplay overall, I think as far as past seasons and this season standing out, definitely the second half is great. And I think a difference within at least the past few seasons is that there's multiple people to root for, you know, like you got your favorite, but I feel like there's more people that I'm interested in and really like this season than I have been feeling like usually there's two and I'm like, I hope they make it to the end. Um, I feel like I like a lot more of these players now. I just don't really get why they're, you tell me this, Justin, um, because I ranted a bit on a on a Instagram live. I don't know why, like when Katura, who I really like, like I think if I had a top three right now, it's Katura, it would be D, and I'm between Austin and Emily, but Emily really, I think, tipped the line last week. So like not not crazy to imagine, but I'm rooting for the women. What can I say? Um, but gameplay wise, when Katura goes Oh, maybe it's time to start looking at, is it Mama J they call her? Yeah, they call Julie Mama, Mama Julie. J. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, you know, talking about like, maybe that's time we start looking at her and go, um, Katura, that's exactly the person you keep at the end. What are you talking about? Jake, Jake is so desperate. Why are they like getting out these easy people? They don't ever mention Austin. I don't know how Austin is under this radar this whole time. That's exactly what I was going to say. He is the biggest physical threat there. He, a couple people at least know that he has two idols now. He's in the majority alliance and nobody has mentioned his name once this entire season. He is in a perfect spot. They eventually need to turn on him, I'd imagine. But how can you when he's been kind of carrying Drew and uh, some of these people the last few weeks? Can we talk about Drew? I have many thoughts about Drew, but what are your thoughts about Drew? So I know a lot of people don't like Drew. And I started off this season rooting for him. And I think I have turned. He thinks he's too hot of shit at this point, And he's kind of like, especially in tribal, I think he is purposely throwing out big words to try to sound smarter for no reason. He will just say things. And instead of saying like a very common, he just, just tries to throw an extra 12 syllables on it just so that he can sound intelligent, Kayla. That's my thought. Okay. 
Thank you, Justin. I literally did this version of him yesterday. I go, this is him at Tribal Council. Jeff, Jeff eventually always finds a way to get to, you know, Drew and his thoughts. Drew, what do you make yep. of all of this? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Jeff. You know, it's a bit of a Pandora's box, you know. Once you open the box, you can't really get in and all the factors of everyone. And and I just sit there and I go, shut the fuck up. I can't stand him. Yep. I'm like, are they feeding you these poster lines? Because you're exactly right. He's a bit of a, a Oedipus, you know, with the mother. And I'm just like, what are you dying? Clearly signs of an Oedipus don't... complex with this situation that arose at you the know, last fortnight. You know, eventually we all get the mother. And that's why Mama J needs to watch out. Because we could just as easily marry her as kill her, you know, Jeff? And I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> I'm so over him when he's on the screen, when he's indignant with Jake and he's like, he's a goon. I'm like, get the fuck out. Again, but no one mentions Drew. They're like, Mama J, she's really the one we need to get out. What? Come on. Keep Jake Uh, and Mama J dangling and get out these power players. You know, I love D. She's very entertaining and sincere. I am rooting for her. But like, again, D. D's doing well as, you know, too. Well, she's protected because it seems like her and Austin have a little bit of a a fling going on here, a little showman. So they don't want to piss off Austin by voting out D. And it's going to be whoever on Reba, you know, goes against each other first here because. Um, yeah, I agree with you on Drew, though. I think it might be just an insecurity that he's one of the younger people, so he's trying to kind of talk up. Or maybe he talked – we know people that talk like that in real life, right? They kind of talk in, in riddles and more academic than, like, natural conversation. But I, eventually <laughs> it's going to have to turn on him, I think. This is not your wife. Your wife isn't this person, but it does remind me how vague your wife can be when she's talking, when Chit is just like – you know, are you excited for the thing that's going to happen at two o'clock? And like, she's just like lunch, <laughs> like Chip won't just say like, it's lunch. She'll say something like that. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening at two? And she's like, Oh, we're going to get Chinese food. Oh, okay. Why did you just say that? Like, are you guys excited for the date that's coming up? And it happens every, it's your birthday, birthday Chip. Are you just saying happy birthday? Yeah. Adds like three extra <laughs> sentences every- to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sometimes I'll, everyone's like laughing. I'm saying they're like, why are you the way that you are? It makes me laugh. Would you guys like to thing. go on a journey for a delicacy of what we will be eating this evening? What? What shit? Oh, are you guys stopping by Panera or not? That's basically what it comes to. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she she is the queen of it. I got to say the queen of vague, all the, all the flowers for that. Um, yeah. I mean, if you just say a top three though, making it down, who, who would you say right now? I got Emily at the top. Then I'm mm-hmm. going to go Austin and then Jake. Honestly, he's, I like Jake cause he seems so authentic. Like when he's struggling, you could see him like struggling in some of these competitions, but he's always kind of trying to keep a positive face. Like Jeff will be like, oh, you're struggling. He's like, just happy to be here, Jeff. This is awesome. You know, in the middle of him, like just straining every muscle in his body. And I like that energy on the beach, Kayla. (laughs) I do. I mean, as much as I'm like, oh, poor Jake, like. I'm worried about him. I mean, he's so isolated. He truly has like no real friends in it. And you got to think like we're seeing the the camera moments, but like all the times he's at the camp kind of alone and knowing that they're all saying his name, all talking without him. That's got like on the psyche that's gotta, you know, really affect you. And I think I did hear an interview with Jeff recently where he talked about how they actually have survivor aftercare. Like they have therapists for them. Like as soon as they get voted out, 
um, which I think is good for uh, Kelly because Kelly's vote out. I thought if looks could kill, she every one scorned. of them would have been on fire. She was so, it. and then the next one, the next episode. I mean, if looks could kill, she would have again killed everyone well, sitting she's down. Pissed on those that logs. she got basically got voted out because she was aligned with Bruce. That's what's <laughs> happening. Everybody that's associated with Bruce is going home. Her, that was a great. I gotta say, vote out because she, as soon as she realized, like huh my name and then it just kept going the rage like if they were anywhere other than on camera i think she would just turn around and strangle the first person she saw she was so mad <laughs> that was amazing though that a brilliant blind side where even as the viewer you're like i don't know jake played his shot in the dark he clearly has no idea what's going on that's one less vote to get out kelly and then everybody turned that amazing blind sides these last few weeks kayla Great blind sides. I'm really appreciating too that they keep the audience us a bit of a like in the dark. I was hoping that they did what they did to Bruce because I'm like, if I were Bruce, I probably would have felt for that too because I would have wanted to save. It's hard because you don't want to give out an idol if you don't need to use it. But I knew as soon as he was telling everyone that he had and all this stuff it was so he didn't have to use it. He knew they were going to for him. So he tried to go move, so far but... in the opposite direction that I think yes. other people realized it. Like, oh, he's trying to make it seem like, like he kept saying, even in tribal, well, I have my idol that I'm going to use today. That is a pure giveaway of this guy's really trying not to play his idol. So just pander to his ego a little bit longer and see what happens. It's so smart because they could he could have done it and then it would have been all those votes and he would have known, you know, and they were smart. They didn't fall for his bluff. And I just thought, man, that is good survivor, baby. Um, I do want to shout out to the bring back of the auction, which I greatly miss when every time Jeff is like, I know you guys want the auction. I was like, please. I just wish they covered more of the food. You know, like I wish they kept it more of a surprise Same. with their dollars a bit. And the way they had it formatted, I was getting a little annoyed because they didn't know how many there were, which I guess is kind of a fun way of you want to spend your money. But it turned into everybody just panic spending all of their money on yes, one thing. Yes, like, oh, agreed. a banana? Here's $7,000. Okay, cool. Yes. And the strategy would have been bid slightly uh, more than whatever is remaining from somebody else. So if Bruce has 60 bucks, make sure you go down to 40 And then you have $40 left to buy whatever random thing gets thrown yes. up there at the end. Cause everybody else has wasted their money. And Emily was the only one who kind of did that. And then Bruce got, she screwed, really won great. on that one. Yeah. She got the wine and the charcuterie board. That, was, that was smart. I'm such of a cheese picky person. I'm sure all the viewers would have hated me when I'm like, mm, I'll just eat the ham. <laughs> I'm like, um, do you have any Wegmans extra sharp cheddar, please? That's the only cheese that I eat. Jeff, please. The real fancy stuff. <laughs> extra sharp cheddar. Yeah, I, yes, please. I have simple needs. Um, yeah, it's been a great, you know, last few episodes. So I'm really excited as we get closer on. Any predictions for who you think might go next week? Who might go next week? Do you think they're going to, like, put Jake out of his poor misery? Or do you think there's another power play happening? Man, uh, I think there's going to be another power play move here. And I think I, so, too. I think people might start trying to get people to vote out Drew this next week. I think they need to. I think yeah. Drew's the next one to go or should be the next one to go if they can. He's not winning these. These He doesn't have anything. And he is the one trying to like turn people a lot of the time. So I think he's the one to go. We'll see. All good on Survivor. 
All right, shall we go ahead and get off the island and head over to talk about the challenge? Just the last two episodes, um, we've had some more challenge champions. So I think that's kind of like what's interesting of, of our discussion. Where do you want to start with the challenge? Yeah. Battle for a new champion. Yes, battle for a new champion. I think it gets elevated once you bring in the OGs, once you bring in the champions to kind of the sand or the arena or whatever they're calling it this season. The Jordan versus Kieran one was electric, cocky Jordan standing there, take your two points and still winning. I will say I've seen like other posts that that was actually a five rounds instead of three rounds. And there was reasons why he was pausing and they edited it in a fun way, but immediate electricity. He takes out the biggest, baddest guy, according to everybody else there. Then Kaz is the next champion going against Big T. That that was a real weak elimination. They're just rolling around and moving things. I I, I wasn't a big fan of that one, Kayla. No, I think it's I, I, when it comes to the manipulation of the show versus reality. I mean, that's always a discussion when you're talking about the challenge. But I can't not believe that it didn't matter that it ended up being Big T down there, and you got Kaz as a champion. I mean, were they going to put Laurel out there? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel like when it comes to that part, that's where it gets kind of well. If I'm the producers, I try to align the champion that's going in with whatever the game the game is. I'm not going to yes. bring in Devin for a hall brawl. I might bring in CT for a hall brawl. I'm going to bring in right. Devin for kind of the puzzle counting type stuff, which is what we happened this last week which seemed like a super simple one, but the fact that it took them a long time to do it and they kept screwing up, I guess not. So it ended up turning into a pretty solid elimination when they read the rules. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So, so props to the producers on that, but I am pumped that I called what the third little uh, dagger, whatever they pull out the third draw in the draw. Oh, we both were. I'll say we both were. We both said that that was probably going to be a pick. Yeah, you get to pick anybody that's up there that mm-hmm. wasn't immune that week, which is a nice little twist. And if you've noticed from the previews, it seems very much that when CT arrives into the elimination arena, he draws that spiked ball, which means he's going to be able to pick anybody he wants to send home. So that's something I noticed from the uh, the previews, which will be interesting if they send in some big targets because that changes your entire gameplay, right? If you send in two big targets because you're trying to get one home and neither one of them have to compete, that screws over everybody that voted them in. So I do like the twist. You know what's surprising to me? I guess not because they're really not making a lot of friends within the house. I got to say, like, they're very much against each other. I would think they would start turning on the fact that they want to keep their money. So they would start putting in people that maybe had a chance to keep that 10,000, but not at all. They're absolutely just trying to get their own people out. So I guess I'm just kind of stumped on like the, does money not really matter to you guys? Cause you obviously care more about getting people out. I mean, big T were you really worried about big T like, and she's the one who ended up winning uh, the only one who ended up winning against a champion. So I'm just kind of like, I, I don't know. I, I would think they would band together a little more, but there's zero of that. They absolutely just want to get who they don't like. It's it's weird because they're in a tough spot where you want to send in the strongest people to save the money, but you do not want to burn a bridge by sending in somebody that may win a challenge later on and have a vendetta against you. And there's nobody really in this house, this group of people, like 
old challenge seasons. Like if there was a CT, a Laurel, a Jordan, an Emily, like Cara Maria even, those are people that might be like, screw it. I'll go in. I'll win. I'll save us the money and I'll come back. But there's nobody that's got that level of confidence in this crew. Even Horacio, who's kind of seen as the like the favorite this year, we saw this past episode. He's still very hesitant. He, he doesn't play his own game. He doesn't really know how to do the social game. He's just too quiet and he needs to take more of like a leadership role. I agree. He's very much trying to go under the radar, I think, because he was very celebrated last time he was on that. I think he knows that he could have a very big target on his back. And I think he's just, you know, still working as hard as he can, but he's not really like a vocal social game person. He's he's kind of quiet into himself. Um, I just I guess I'm just surprised that they're not, you know, here we talked about last time when Kayla on our episode about like, is this is this champion, whoever comes from this show, a little lower than maybe champions who have won with everyone in the pot, Ch- champions, old cast, all Definitely. that. And and we kind of were like, yes. Um, I would feel that pressure a little bit to like, hey, go against a champion, I feel personally, because I, I would want that. Like, listen, I know it's not a traditional season, but I want kind of the glory of beating a champion. That's part of it. You know, I, I think I would feel that pull a little. I have a proposal. What if okay. as part of this chaos phase, maybe it hasn't been revealed yet, that if a champion beats one of the contestants and takes the $10,000, they are automatically qualified to run the final. Now, obviously, it seems like that's a very, very, very slim chance because the title of the season is Battle for a New Champion. So would they put ex-champions in there? But I think that'd be kind of fun because they'd get their props to go up against the champions. The champions kind of earn their way in with an elimination win. They're not going to do that because the new people would lose to the champions like 99% of the time. But I would love that if they did. Yeah, I'd be interested in something because I just feel like, again, unless they have some sort of switch now that they lost once again to another champion, if they're going to have some sort of like, wow, we keep losing 10 grand, you know, every week almost. So I guess we'll have to see where their head is. But it seems like now they're just kind of being petty and getting out the people that they don't like and don't want to run with. And they beat Kaz. I will say no offense to Kaz. She won the global championships and her australia season or whatever it was or uk what i forget she was the weakest of the champions that are going in for the I, but i also thought i also thought that game was so weak sauce like you yeah, said it, like i just felt like there's no advantage to that was there. very much to give big t i think the best chance because there wasn't i mean there's a puzzle component but i just didn't feel like there was a lot of skill in it and it wasn't it's even like the typical like pectogram type puzzle there was like an image on it. So all you had to do was line up the image. It wasn't like your typical one. So yeah, it seemed like way too easy of an elimination. Yeah. So I just, I felt like that was kind of weak sauce. Any predictions on who you think might join after uh, Devin? Oh, the next uh, champion that's going to go in there. Yes. So I think we are going to have Laurel next. Okay. I think they're going to save Karamur. You know what I, my prediction. I think so, too. They're going to have Laurel next week. Then there's going to be a double elimination with CT and Cara Maria. That's my prediction. 
Oh, I love that would, that. that would be so great. Oh my God. I, I've been waiting for a double elimination because we got more champions than we have weeks where we have them. So that is exciting. I was thinking more guy, guy or girl, girl. So that's oh, interesting okay. to have both that I think makes sense. So I'm rooting for that. I just, I think they'll save them towards the end because they're going to feel like you want that pressure of like CT could come out of there at any time and take you know? down one of the biggest dogs. He's trying to wait till the end to get to the final. Yeah. I do find it funny that they did say Car Maria's name. Like they're like anyone could come out. This person, this person, Car Maria. I'm like, do they know that Car? Because like I would have said her name if I hadn't seen her on the show in like six years. You know, it's a weird, weird thing because the first two that came out, it was Kaz and Jordan who were on a season very recently. So I know you hear things about like sometimes people see other uh, contestants and like the hotel the hallway or the yeah. airport before a season. So maybe somebody saw Cara Maria. Cause I, I agree with you. You wouldn't just pull that out. Right. She hasn't been on a season in what, five years. Yeah. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said her name at all as a person like to come out. So I just found that funny. We'll have to see. I'm excited though. This is a good premise of a show. I do miss my OGs again. It's like, it's kind of like the Mandalorian and this is going to sound crazy to reference it or not the Mandalorian, but Boba Fett. It's like the best episode of Boba Fett was the Mandalorian episode. Like I enjoy seeing what champion's going to come out of, you know, the fog steam. Let's um, go. Ed. So that's Team what's pulling Ed, me. Yes. Team Ed all the way. I, love, I do love Ed, you know, love my, love my circle guy. And He's I do great. love how Corey just keeps sticking his foot in his mouth every single week. Get out of here, Corey. You're being annoying as shit. <laughs> some of these players are real, unlike survivor where we're like loving everyone. We're having some real struggles, I think with who's left in battle for a champion. So I'll have to see what comes. All right, Justin, that is our reality TV talk, okay? We got some films to talk about, and we've seen some good to okay to where do we fall on this? I'm excited to see after a couple days of seeing these films how you felt, because we always talk after the movie, but, you know, in hindsight, sometimes as you're logging it on Letterboxd, you're rethinking about where you're putting these films. So let's start with Napoleon, All right, so Napoleon, have you heard of the guy? Napoleon is an epic historical drama directed by the great Ridley Scott. It's based on the story of Napoleon Bonaparte, primarily depicting his rise to power, as well as his relationship with Empress Josephine, stars Hakeem Phoenix, and Vanessa Kirby. Justin, what do you think of Napoleon? I thought it was not as good as I was hoping. I, I guess that's the key takeaway. To me, it seemed a little disjointed. Obviously, they're covering a good amount of time, like 30 years or so in his life. But the motivations for what he was doing seemed a little lacking. They're jumping back and forth to his. It's kind of like a love story at the heart of this, right? He's like obsessed with Josephine, played by Vanessa Kirby, who I thought was amazing. But there wasn't as much of a tie in between the personal and then like the military aspects as I thought there would be. Yes, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I think I said going into it, I don't really know much about Napoleon other than we have a complex about him. He may or may not be short. And there were some wars. That's really and France. That's, that's about all I had going into it as far as like, 
I didn't know about him becoming king or king adjacent at one point. Like all that was and the two exiles, I feel like I kind of knew, but not really. So that was interesting to me. There was some comedy, like purposeful comedy, because I think obviously we have a complex about him. There's a lot of stuff in history letters and stuff that paint him a certain way. So like I knew there would be some they're, they're going to make him look a bit pathetic, like I expected that. But I really think some of the comedy parts that we were laughing at were unintentional. I, I, I mean, I would hope it's purposeful because there was some real like he, he was basically like, I don't know, the set like that would have. 1800s like incel i don't know it, it it was so bizarre the characterization of him <laughs> that i i mean we laughed a lot in this movie well, at one Justin, point he right? turns around basically like you think you're better than me because you have boats and then like runs away essentially <laughs> i was like what it was so absurd and like the way that like i th- kind of thought of him as this like cold like Ruthless, calculating calculated, yes yeah. yes and then was kind of like not as big as he felt like he was himself, but not really. I mean, he was good at strategies of some wars. He's, he's especially famous for getting millions and millions of people killed in these wars. Um, but I wasn't prepared for like his personal life, um, with his wife, um, and that dynamic, it was kind of like, the war parts are super interesting in that historical Ridley Scott, like, wow, cannons, the ice scene was, was amazing. The like battle all of, of that Austerlitz was great. was awesome with the cannonballs going through yes. the ice and the perspective looking up through uh, the portions of the ice. That was an awesome scene. The the slow realization that, that they were under ice when the guy falls down and the snow moves and he realizes they're on this huge ice, you know, uh, thing and so that was amazing like those parts were like whoa i'm trying to watch everything i'm trying to you know catch everything the i would say at least half the movie is centered on his relationship with josephine um that part didn't work for me and that is like half the movie i i love vanessa kirby i thought she her she was phenomenal of playing this like stuck in this role and kind of why she still had this, I guess, tender heart for him in some ways, even though he could be incredibly uh, painful, uh, you know, some of the antics that he does, Um, you know, you want wealth, you want power, you want status, you know, where she came from. It didn't work for me though. I don't know that that was more the Hakeem Phoenix of it all. Like that's where he excelled as how he does in movies. It was very Joker-ish. Did you call him Hakeem instead of Joaquin? Oh my God, you're so right. See, (laughs) thank you for the correction. Um, And I just, that didn't work for me. And that was a lot of the movie. How did it work for you, the relationship drama? So I don't think it worked in the way that it was presented. Now, one thing I will say, I've listened to other podcasts on Ridley Mm -hmm. Scott, and apparently I did not realize this until I did. He is fairly known for having these extended director's cuts of his movies. And Kingdom of Heaven is one of those where they said the extended like four hour version is like best picture, awesome, phenomenal movie. But the two and a half hour version that is the one I saw, the theatrical release, is very lackluster. And I saw the two and a half and I was very much like, what is going on? I didn't have enough background. I didn't understand motivations for things and did not really like it. The rumor is there's like a four plus hour extended version of this movie that Apple will be releasing at a later point, which may tie some of that together because the way it was put together, it's like battle sequence. Cool. Okay. We're back into the politics and he's pissed at Josephine battle sequence. We're back to Josephine. And it, 
it's like, was he running away to try to prove his masculinity to Josephine by winning these battles? If that was the intent, that's not really how it was portrayed to me. So I, I think it kind of dropped the ball there. You know, it did feel like things were missing because it very much would be like he's off to a war and it's not even the build up of how he came up with his strategies or like all of these things that turn the tide for France. It was very much like I'm off doing I'm off to war, babe. And then he'd go there would be a battle scene. And he'd come back and then be a complete asshole to her. Um, and then he'd, I'm off to another war off to Egypt. And then that back and forth was like. How I, I guess I was interested. It's not like I wanted the childhood Napoleon. It's not like I needed that. Like I, I was glad to start him right off. You know, but where the military he strategy would have been interesting, right? Well, yeah, you know. it would have been like a bit of why he, why they did give him a crown, why they did give him the status, even though he was a tool. You know, like what, what made them look at him, even though they had this huge revolution and they were like, no more monarchy. We, you know, it's for the people. They literally were hanging people, killing people they were like we are anti this and then in a matter of years they were like mm, we're gonna give you a crown like we're gonna give you this title but we're not gonna say king because then they don't really like that but like you have a crown and you do everything king like i just don't i didn't really get that fully other than seeing how he did on the battlefield like i, I you know especially since he got big roles i'm completely in line with you it was it was kind of weird the way it was it was paced out for a two hour and 38 minute movie that should have been enough time, in my opinion, to truly give us more of that information. But they were more focused on really that the love story with Josephine and not how that incorporated into all these battles that he was in. I mean, the movie showed six major battles between 1793 and Battle of Waterloo in 1815, which was his last one. And then he was exiled and you know, never came back and died a few years later. But the first one is like the siege where they show a little bit of, Hey, we should do this because we're going to wait them out and we're going to take over this town. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Then there was another one where they don't really show anything. Then there was the pyramids where he leaves. Cause he finds out Josephine was screwing some other guy. Then there was Austerlitz, which like we said, was an awesome kind of strategy, but they don't show him coming up with it. They save it as like a reveal of they brush the snow and there's the ice there and he had it figured out all along. And then the last couple battles, it's just like he was outmatched. Uh, Russians, what they, I think it was Moscow. They just abandoned Moscow and started burning it to the ground as kind of like a fuck you to him because he didn't think he had the balls to do that essentially the, you know, the czar of Moscow or of Russia at that time. So he just lost his fastball and I wanted to see more of his mental state as he's losing these battles and like losing power and strength. Yeah. I mean, Joaquin was an interesting actor. I think to cast in this, I'm not a hundred percent sold. Like he was the perfect person for this because again, like I expected looking at him to be a portrayal of that kind of pathetic nature. Like somehow he's not able to, to fit this embodiment he's trying to do. I just like, there was a scene actually, I think both me and you were both on the same page where he realizes, as you mentioned earlier, that his wife took on like a younger lover um, and has been sleeping with him as she writes these letters to him and he's writing his letters pining for her. And I can't wait to be home and all this stuff. 
that we were like, he gets home and finds out. And we were like, oh shit, like something dark's going to happen. Like, and it ends up being so pathetic. Like it becomes so comical in nature when he starts to have this infuriation, this anger. And she's basically like, it's almost like he's a fetish about being talked down to. Like he likes being called like a boy. He likes being like, she's in the power, but not really. And, and that was interesting to me in their dynamic because as much as it seemed like she had power in the dynamic when she's talking to him, like she wins the verbal wars between them where she's like, you're pathetic. You're just a little boy. You, and he, he likes it, but not really, because guess what? He leaves her alone in the house. You know, he divorces her. He calls on her whenever he wants. And she's kind of, you know, where would she go without kind of the money that she gets and all of this? So she's stuck with this kind of asshole. And so it, it is a good interesting of like the power she has, but like not really as a woman during this time, like not really, like maybe she wins their encounter that night, but then, you know, the seven months she's alone, you know? So I thought that was interesting. I just like their dynamic was just a bit like, why is this the whole thing? You know? Yeah. Like we, we needed more on if she's winning those verbal like battles with him and like he's enjoying it at the time and like it's a fetish like you said does he then turn around and say i need to prove my manhood some other way so let's go start a war but there was no tie between those two that really came through anyway yeah absolutely so yeah that's that's napoleon at least um i you know when you see those battle scenes it's always worth seeing on the big screen versus at home it's just not going to be the same but i think we both kind of left it going like "Eh, not quite what we expected you know, this epic to be. Did you know that our very own Swarley and his wife, Kate, watched Oppenheimer at home on a streamer instead of seeing those scenes in the theater? That's one of those movies you need to see the big scene in the theater. Oh, guys, disappointed, guys. It is disappointing. I'm glad they saw it because they so rarely see the movies that we talk about and tell them to see, but... That is a bummer. I do feel bad. I mean, I don't feel bad because truly Oppenheimer's in the theater for like, it felt like six months. So there was every opportunity to go see this damn movie. Um, But it just wasn't the same to tones. I got to say it was not the same. All right, Justin, where would you rank? How many VHS tapes are you going to give the cinematic wonder that was Napoleon? Three out of five VHS tapes for me, Kayla. Kind of middle of the road, some good Mm -hmm. scenes, but wanted more. Yeah, solid three for me as well. I was like, this was good, but not great. Not great, Napoleon. Have a complex about that. All right, let's get to a quick review for me on the film Thanksgiving. All right, so Thanksgiving, okay, was a, is a slasher film directed by Eli Roth you know, horror director God, uh, stars Patrick Dempsey, Addison Ray, Milo Manheim, follows a small Massachusetts town that is terrorized by a killer in a John Carver mask around the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, very, very quick review on this. It was better than my expectations. I got to say, when you're watching a slasher based on the idea of a killer pilgrim on Thanksgiving, you don't have a lot of high expectations for a film like this. Um, Even from the trailer, I was like, this doesn't look good. But like good slashers sometimes are great because they're a comedy. They're funny. The blood spilling out of someone um, is so comically overdone that you just laugh. So it's a bit of a comedy horror, I would say. Patrick Dempsey 
wins the award for most times dropping an accent. Again, this is set in a Massachusetts town and he has a Boston accent for maybe a collective 15 minutes of the film, even though he's supposed to have it the whole time, which is like, that's John Cava. And then the rest of the time, it's like Patrick Dempsey's voice. And then he'll just say something like, I don't care. And I'm like, where did this come from? I mean, truly I couldn't even look at Kayla Chet because I would start laughing every time he did get into the heavy Boston accent. It was so bad. Some of the kills were just outrageous. Um, one, you know, those, uh, corn tools you have like to help eat corn like the handles you put in or oh, yeah, you kind yep. of call those someone gets killed with that by like inserting them in a woman's ears that was pretty brutal of a kill someone no, gets you. baked and basted like a turkey um there was a hilarious black friday massacre where these people like basically lose their mind on black friday and just kill people on their way to get like discount deals like just people swarm into a store one person gets scalped i mean truly wild so if, if you're looking for just a truly hilarious holiday thanksgiving centered film i recommend thanksgiving i gotta say collectively though as far as the movie and my ratings it, it didn't get great it was about a two vhs tapes for me for this film however they are making a sequel um so you know it did well enough that they want a part two i, d I don't know if patrick dempsey is going to be in this one um but you know it's john kava y'all so yep two vhs tapes for me any thanksgiving thoughts justin would you want to see this film perhaps i think everybody did your wife say anything on a horror movie <laughs> she actually did not she just said it was fine like she didn't really give oh, it yeah. uh, too much thought i didn't ask her any probing questions though yeah, no, it was just like a fun movie. Like, it was a good time, but I, I wouldn't say it's, like, high on my horror list. All right, let us finish up our reviews with a movie we were really trying to see a lot sooner, but the theaters were packed every time we went to see it. So this was a movie that I can say brought a lot of people into the seats, and it is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. All right, so this movie is a prequel to the 2012 Hunger Games, and it's the fifth installment overall to the franchise. It stars Tom Blythe, Rachel Zegler, Peter Dinklage, Jason Schwartzman, Hunter Schaefer, Viola Davis. I, I Man, oh, we'll get to it. Set 64 years before the events of the first film, The Hunger Games, its plot follows the events that lead a young Corleana Snow on the path to become the tyrannical leader of Pan Am including his relationship with the Hunger Games District 12 tribute Lucy Graybeard Bird during the 10th Hunger Games. I got to say, as far as the book-wise, I did read all of the original Hunger Games. I rewatched the movies, as did you. I found them to be really amazing. I loved my rewatch. Like, I was not distracted by my phone. Like, I was just locked into these movies. I go, these fucking rock. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, I think, absolutely picked the right franchise during this YA area of all these films coming out. Um, I thought they really held up. I remember when this book came out, obviously later than the original Hunger Games series. Um, and I was like, no, fuck it. I hate President Snow. He was the worst. Why would I read a book about him? I could care less about him. So I never actually read the book. I can't say I'll return to it after watching this movie. Justin, any prior Hunger Games thoughts before we go into our review? I have the original three books. And like you said, I rewatched all of the four original movies. And I love those movies. The first two especially are phenomenal. 
And then it, you know, it gets a little bit away from that, but they were still like really well done. And you had a lot of these big name actors playing the side characters. You had Woody Harrelson, you had Elizabeth Banks. So you had a lot of these tie-ins and I was really excited for this. Now, I thought it was weird that they were going to do kind of a prequel based on snow, but if a villain origin story is done well, I'm all in for it. So let me see why he became the way he did. And I don't think we really got that in this movie. I was very disappointed with uh, how the movie ended and, and just how it was structured in general. I mean, it's over two and a half hours. It basically was broken down into two different movies. There's like a 90 minute version and a 60 minute version of an entirely separate movie. Why were they crammed together? I don't get it, Kayla. You know, I often say on the pod and in life, I am definitely too chronically online. And so I was like, we need to watch this movie because people are just have a lot of Hunger Games thoughts or spoiling it all over the online. And uh, one of the things I, I try to stay away from spoilers, but I did see that people were like, they fit a lot of things in this movie. And that was part of the struggles of it. That certainly was part of it for me, but I, I was so disappointed when the end credits rolled. I, I really like, thought I was going to be like, wow, there was a lot going on in this movie, but it was great. I mean, I was so disappointed. I, I I don't know what they were doing with the characterization of snow. I I don't know exactly what they were saying. It, 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 it seemed like it was trying to be this complicated movie about this character. And I found it to be incredibly simple. Um, how we turned evil. I, I their chemistry. No and chemistry. this is nothing against Rachel Ziegler. I know that she somehow gets a lot of flack online. I think Snow White drama. I don't well, know. That don't accent care. she was giving was not not the that best. That was bad. That was not but the like best. her acting, I yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Um no zero chemistry. Zero chemistry other than they're good looking people. And as I've said, that is not enough to carry a movie is that they're two attractive people gotta say I, that is the main thing i had that this whole love story seems so forced because there was no chemistry it's like you know when he first meets her they're looking at each other supposedly longingly through the cage that she's in at the zoo which is absurd and i i felt nothing that that relationship meant nothing to me it's like they're trying to get you to root for snow at first because they're trying to get you to root for lucy gray's character and the best part to me was the actual Hunger Games part. Okay, they set these mentors up. These mentors need to try to help these people. And this is the first time they're doing it. So not all the mentors believe in their person and they're not really helping them. But Snow's trying to utilize that to get the rest of the districts like watching this. And he's trying to turn it into a spectacle. And that was interesting to me, like how he turned this thing where they just riled them up threw them in a and basically a dome and said fight to the death into this massive experience that they have 65 years later for the the original versions of the games but then they're like oh there's this love plot there's this he comes from a family where his dad died so now he doesn't have any money in the capital but he's trying to pretend peter dinklage hates him for some reason his best friends, also the son of the richest person in Panama. I'm just like, what are all of these weird branches that I frankly don't care about most of them? They had so many interesting actors. I think a lot of young, newer actors. I mean, I don't watch Euphoria, but like I know Hunter Schaefer. She's like a big, yeah. you know, celebrity in that world, up and coming actress. But you got Peter Dinklage. Again, every time he's drinking a pill potion, I was like, are we just going off of the Game of Thrones energy right there? Very much what he was giving me. 
that's not really expressed too much about him. I mean, even the reveal at the end, cause he hates snow and you, you're kind of like, what is they hate a falling out with his father and they are best friends. And you realize that they both kind of drunkenly came up with the hunger games and then his snow's father took the credit. And then he got like stuck in this role that he never wanted to kind of be, to actually create the hunger games. Bizarre. Yeah, the, but again, that reveal was so lame. I, well, I just yeah, was like, oh, okay. He played Dean Highbottom. So his whole thing was, I don't want to be associated with this. Basically, he's trying to come up with reasons to kill the Hunger Games. But uh, the main character's father is the one who attached uh, Dean Highbottom's name to it. So he's forced to go along with this charade. And now his son, Cor- Coriolanus Snow, weird name. I kind of like it, though is bringing it back to life but that wasn't really fleshed out like we didn't really get enough of the high bottom character to to understand his motivations behind that. no exactly and i don't really get like again the chemistry was not there between these two main characters but i totally didn't understand why he was even attracted to her in the beginning knowing his the personality they created for him like it almost was very much like oh, I'm being cast away, so, like, might as well be in District 12 where she is. Like, I, I never really understood what... It seemed like he liked violence, and, and, def, and like, it, him defending her allowed him to be violent. It had zero to do with her and his attraction to her. Like, even when they were, like, cuddling by the water, it was not believable, other than it was, like, a nice photo of two attractive people. I, I totally don't get... And when he snaps, when he loses it, it's like... So it's not any type of like, oh shit, this is where he, this is the dark turn. He actually was a good guy. And I appreciate that they weren't making him a good guy from the beginning. It wasn't like a typical, I'm a great guy. And then like, it's the girl that hurt me. Like in cell language, I say once again, <laughs> I mean, a pattern here. It was a hollow um, character arc for him. In my yes. Opinion. Yeah. And it's just, they show when he goes in to save his buddy, uh, Sejanus Plinth, who is that wealthy son of the super rich guy, and then he's leaving. They show they try to do it like, oh, here's a glimpse. He's losing it, and he kills this tribute who was trying to kill him, but it was kind of in self defense, but kind of not. And then he goes home to his cousin, sister, whatever uh, Hunter Schaefer's character is, Tigris, and just goes, I felt so powerful when I killed him. And we're like, what? You're over here kind of like poo-pooing the games. Now you're like, I feel so powerful. I murdered a child. Yes, I, I'm rising up the ranks. But it was still so hollow. And then at the end, they show Tigris again after he's kind of gotten back to the capital. And she just has, she knows what he's turned into. But they haven't shown their relationship really change. So I'm like, what is going on here? So Josh Rivera plays the best friend that you're talking about, the Sejanus. He reminded me of Full Metal Jacket's pile, like where he just gets like so locked, he starts to lose it. Like he's losing a shit is kind of like, you know, he's like, these are terrible. We should be against it. Um, he, he gave me pile energy, both in looks and like how he was interacting. I gotta say, if anyone watches this movie, it is uncanny how much this actor sounds like fucking Matt Damon. I was, every time he talked, I was like, holy, is he related to him? It is un, if he ever had to play Matt Damon in a movie, I would like the voice alone has, has sold me on that. It is uncanny how he sounds like him, just as a side comment there. 
Kayla was very into this in the theaters too. She was texting me, "This is Matt Damon. Like, what is going on here?" So, you know what? It, it says a lot that I did that in the movie because that means the movie was not keeping me away from looking at my phone and what time it was. I will say this movie, like again, did suffer from trying to fit twenty thousand things into it. I knew when we got the Hunger Games part of it, like in the first, like super quick at the beginning of the movie, I go, "Oh my god, this is either going to be a very long Hunger Games." Or there's like 80,000 things that are going to happen after this. So that that's definitely something I noticed too. Yeah, and, it, and that was the best part is them trying to maneuver the new <laughs> Hunger Games. And they realize this bombing has given these tributes uh, different avenues to go through, different like holes to crawl into, places to hide, which is kind of what leads to the expansion. But it was so early in the movie and you have like he's expecting he's going to get all this money and they're like, well, come up with ideas. Write me a proposal by tomorrow. The Hunger Games is, are in one day, but we'll try to implement as many of these as possible. What? You're going to implement all of this additional camera work. Uh, you're getting a host. You're setting up all these things. You're figuring out this drone system and these donation delivery all in one to two days before the game started. Like the timeline didn't make much sense to me. Like you said, I looked at my watch after the Hunger Games was over and I was like, we still have at least another hour in this movie here. And then at the end, when he kind of turned at first to try to save his relationship with her, I guess. But then he runs away with her and then like turns five minutes later because he finds the guns and she's scared and says, oh, well, as long as you don't kill me. I, it just it happened too too quick, his transformation. And then we got into a, a semi-heated argument, not me and you, but me, you against other Kayla with a C after the movie that I a hundred percent think Lucy Gray got away. We never saw her body, but she was saying she died. And the, uh, the, what were they called? The Jabba Jabba Jays or Jabber Jays or whatever they're called. were just reciting her singing before she died, which is an interesting thought, but I don't think that's what happened at all. No, I, again, I thought Kayla, I don't know what she was smoking on that one. I, I'll be, I haven't checked with her to see if she had any different thoughts. I did read up. like, I looked it up to see if that, you know, and they said it's intention, intentionally ambiguous from one, you don't see the body. You know what they say? If you don't see the body, they didn't die. And two, they even mentioned at the end that they didn't find her. I like to believe that she got away and that, I don't know. She's Same. some sort of generational thing with the hunger games. Um, Especially because she was running away for her life. I don't think she was like sitting down to have a song, you know, like as she died, she just was like singing it to herself. I think like she was zooming and then did that to fuck with him. Completely agree with that. Maybe she went and started another Covey tribe elsewhere, but I, I really, I like the Lucy Gray character. I just didn't like how it all happened. Like she's kind of this gypsy yes. singer. Okay. This is kind of a cool twist, but didn't really feel like it was fully flushed out. It, you know, and it really feels like a separation from like what the hunger game movies would be now versus what they were in like 2012. Like, I think times have changed. I felt a little more like, what are they, you know, like they were dark, the hunger games. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept is dark, but I felt like there was a darker visual and like the war and like death and, I mean, in the Hunger Games, you see Katniss go back to her district and she sees the literal like ash bodies of the people that she literally lived with and 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 hunted with and like just 
there, like stuck in time, children, adult, like it's tragic. This one had like, was weird with the gore. Now I know this was like, I want to say it was PG 13. I think it yeah, showed. Um, I was a little worried. They did cast a actress who had down syndrome, which I thought was really interesting because you just don't see it on in movies. So I did love that. But I was like, how are they going to kill this girl? Because she's played like such a sweet character, like where, where the district people are protective of her. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like she, she was like, it was kind of like a rue. Yeah. Like someone that's sweet. That's like, shouldn't be in the hunger games. You're like, Oh no, protect her. They did do like a nice death for her. I'd say, and how they did it. So I was like, I don't know how they're going to do it. They can't throw an axe yeah, at this girl protector. Lucy Gray under the bus because she's the one who unintentionally killed her with the uh, rat poison. So brutal. That was brutal. Um, or she didn't kill her with the rat poison. So she died. Spoilers. Well, oh spoilers no, that was the go. other girl drank uh, the uh, drank the yes, water. Yes, right. yes, yeah. She so she died from the snakes, but they don't show the snakes even strangling her, biting her. They just show the snakes overwhelm her yeah. and she disappears. That's right. So it's truly like I think they were like we're gonna give the nicest death here. Um, I, the side characters were also totally bizarre to me. Um, the actor Jason Schwartzman, who played in Asteroid City, which I really enjoyed, um, he played like Lucky Flickerman, kind of like an early version of uh, Stanley Tucci's character. That didn't work for me whatsoever. I, I was solely confused. It wasn't like over the top fun. And I know he's supposed to be like an early, he's possibly to be like an the early father like father or something of the other guy, right? Probably. Yeah, maybe missing a generation yeah, too, like because that was like, like the tenth, yeah. right? Uh, he did not work for me whatsoever. Um, Viola Davis, however, 10, 10 out of 10, she went crazy with it. Loved it every time she was on the scene. So she gave me old feelings of the hunger games, like old, like I'm fucking crazy and don't give a shit about anyone energy. And that's the hunger games to me. Well, and I think that's why her character was done so well. Cause you needed somebody that kind of had that, that kind of tie unhinged. to the original unhingedness <laughs> that can show you, okay, she's taking over the game making at this pivotal point. She's taking snow under her wing. I can see how it got from this to where it is in, at the 75th anniversary, right? Because obviously there's a, a big change in how they promote this, how they do this to keep all the districts in line. And I, I will say I do like the like the two-minute start of the movie where they show you the dark days. Yes. Obviously, it was quick. I'm glad they didn't spend too much time there. But I liked having a reference of they've mentioned, oh, it's better than it was in the dark days. At least the government sticks up for us now. And we see snow as a young kid, like people are are sawing off arms and eating other humans because there's nothing there. They have no food and they're starving to death. So there is like, OK, there is a reason behind us trying to get control. And then as per usual, they, they go too far and shit hits the fan. See, part of me almost would have rather had that story, that movie of the war, the original like rebellion, since we spend so much time showing how they did these games as kind of an act against these rebels. And and then you do know that District 13 was still survived during this time. They just had to kind of wait for their moment. So there's even stuff past the war that while like True. Snow is with his cousin surviving and literally ruins there's still an actual district 13 with the leftover rebels trying to regroup essentially at the same time. I, I would have been more interested in that and maybe snows like turn 
because he hates the the rebels so much, the power. I I didn't see much of that in this, other than he was good at coming up with torture ideas and how to make it popular. I thought he's so he's so good. Adult Snow is so good in the Hunger Games and so fucking evil. When when Candace performs her love for for Peta, Peta, yeah. And you just see him like she's like, did I do enough? And he just does this like. It's chilling. It's chilling. And I don't know. This this one great actor, but like the role sucked. Gotta say. Well, that's really Tom Blith or Blythe, however you say that. It's <laughs> yeah. his first big movie role. He's been in the Billy the Kid TV show, but first time I've really seen him in anything where he's had an actual role. So I, I don't think he was great. I don't think he had the most to work with. But, you know, he wasn't terrible. Good looking he guy. He wasn't terrible. I think it was the material. I agree with you there. And I will say that Rachel Ziegler on her character did say the differences between her and Katniss. Many. But one of them is she said that Katniss was a survivor turned performer, right? And that her character was a performer turned okay. survivor. See, that's like an interesting mm-hmm. thought of what's going on there. It just didn't yes. really come through it- that much. <laughs> exactly help clarify me where she was coming from i just like i just found it unrealistic that what she went through and witnessed that she just was so like whatever yeah snow let's hook up like i just found that not to be believable did you like the music i know that it's been kind of going back and forth i do think i generally like the music pieces obviously it was pretty repetitive but i was a fan when she would like start singing there was a lot of singing. I will say there's a lot of singing in this movie. More than I thought. For I sure. didn't think there needed to be. You know, there's better lyricists out there. <laughs> I did appreciate the calls to, you know, the Katniss of it all and, and the songs, the hanging tree that Katniss sings. That um, was a cool moment when you realize that yes. it's the same song that Katniss sung in, uh, was it number two, I think? Yes. But they were doing a weird. I don't know what they were doing with District 12. District 12 changes a lot, y'all, from uh, Lucy Gray's time to Katniss's time. The accents got lost, I think. So the accents that's got one of the lost. Biggest. The, uh, the peacekeepers, it seems like at that time, were actually kind of there just to keep the peace. They weren't yes. like being a dictatorship, which is what it ends up turning into down the line. Yeah, truly wild, wild. All right, what would you or what did you rate The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? Weird name, but uh, two out of five VHS tapes for me. I gave it two and a half, two and a half. So yeah, we're around there, below uh, expectations, below average. <laughs> below, very much so. Yeah. I was really excited to see it, and I left pretty disappointed. Um, what's your favorite Hunger Games movie, though, and why is it Catching Fire? No, it's the first one. The original Hunger Games oh, was my really? favorite one. Yep. Oh, I wow. just love that story. Like the exceptional person coming out of nowhere and surpassing all expectations and like trying to force herself to put on the face. I, I just like that aspect better. The second oh, okay. one, she's already gotcha. kind of a known commodity, you know? Oh, Catching Fire fucking rocks. Well, I mean, though, I, so I, I both have them, I think, out. as either four or four and a half stars, so or VHS tapes. So, I mean, I love them both, but I give the edge to number one. All right, all right. There you go, folks. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our Swirly of the Week. All right. So my Swirly of the Week is going to be, and probably not for the last time, uh, CEO Bob Iger, who said he will no longer tolerate his company's partners and creative team prioritizing messaging 
over storytelling. He is quoted saying, creators lost sight of what their number one objective needed to be. We have to entertain first. It's not about messages. I don't really want to get into the woke discussion of Disney, but what I do want to get into is just the fact that like you can do both and it's not really about the messaging. I feel, I mean, you can definitely tell when they're, when they're like being cheesy is really what I'd say I get annoyed by, but like you, you can have both like Andor is, I mean, we celebrate Andor so much, but Andor has messaging for sure, but it's just also well-written and well-performed and a good show. Like, I don't think it's messaging. That's the problem, Bob Hiker. I think it's the quality and that you're giving these shows is how much you're trying to do in a single year, calendar year. And I think it's that you have no real direction of who you're, having these writers write like you're just kind of picking people arbitrarily and it's not working so it's not the messaging all right disney it's the quality and it's been real low all right kayla taking shots at disney here at disney yeah that i'm over for me right my swarly oh. <laughs> of the week this week it's tough to do a swarly of the week when we literally talked about napoleon the movie i know so, a little He's short the joke there for swarly uh but my swarly <laughs> of the week this week I'll keep it in theme with our episode. It's Callum from the challenge battle for a new champion. This guy, nobody is like Michelle's kind of boo thing in the challenge. Nobody's really tried to go against him. He's been playing a solid game. He's been making good inroads. Devin comes in as the challenge gets to choose anybody he wants. Looks up at the crowd. Doesn't know two guys from the UK, Callum and James. Mariah basically goes, not James, don't do anything, and then realizes she screwed up, and now he's going to go tell Bananas that she's screwing somebody else. So the only person that didn't have somebody stick up for them that he didn't know was Callum, even though he's linked to Michelle, who is one of Devin's best friends, and Devin calls down Callum and sends him home. Absolutely phenomenal when he calls him down, and Michelle looks so pissed, but how is Devin supposed to know that she's hooking up with him? I mean, come on. Like, you should have said something, girl. And it was just such a swarly move where he's sitting there like, oh, this is like Michelle's one of her best friends, so I should be safe. Shit. And then he forgot how to count. So, swarly of the week. He did, but I will say he was close. He was close. Devin, like, almost lost it there. So, um... Well, Devin knocked over, like, the entire thing of pipe fittings immediately and still (laughs) was able to catch up. They both uh, miscounted, like, three or four different times at least, though. I love that he was like, that's right, that's right, that's right. It's probably this fucking shit. I mean, he was funny. And then his Devin's line as he laughed where he's like, I should have gotten James because Mariah's clearly fucking him. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm going to go talk to the banana changed. man about that one. Yep. Chaos. Oh, my God. Wild, wild. And if you so. draw the chaos one where you get to choose anybody, you have to create chaos. You can't choose one of the two people that are already down in the sand. That's no fun. Go for somebody standing up there. I agree. All the people up there saying, go for Corey. He's down there. Be like, screw that. No, I want to bring one of you assholes into the sand. Freaking wild. So good. So good. Watch the challenge, people. All right. Let's get to our friendship question of the week, Justin, which you came up with. What is it? What is your weirdest or grossest habit, Kayla? This is a challenge for me because I feel like habits, like people tell you about your own and that's why you're like, oh, I do that because it's so normal to you and you don't think it's odd until someone points it out to you. I will say like one weird habit um, is just like how much I need to have like 
a podcast playing when I'm going to do stuff. Like truly, if I'm going up the stairs Same. at my own <laughs> house, I'm like, let me find a podcast to press play so that the 20 minutes that I'm going up to somewhere or doing something, like I I'm listening to something. Yeah. And Sometimes I only know I'll I don't like, do it. Spend more time figuring out what podcast than the actual yes. like, link will be. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the shower and I'm like, the water is getting cold as I'm just trying to find the right podcast. <laughs> And so that makes me laugh because it's so normal to me that it's only when people are like, you always have to play something. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I'm cooking. There's a podcast. I'm going to my car. There's a podcast. Like, it's so funny to me. So I think that's kind of weird to other people. That's a good one, Kayla. I will say for me, I do that same thing. I don't consider that weird. I'm just desensitized to it at this point. (laughs) Yes. Uh, My wife will probably say it's annoying as shit. She just calls me out for picking my nails. I think I just have like a nervous anxiety thing where I pick my nails all the time, which I never used to do. So that's kind of a gross one. I would say my weirdest one though, when I was a kid, I think I may have said this on the pod before I used to bang my head against the pillow to fall asleep. So I'd lay down and I just continuously bang my head like against the pillow until I fell asleep. Did you have a certain number of times you had to do it? No, or was it, it was just like it was you just, just do until it until I passed out. I think I don't know. Like it, it's a real weird oh. thing. I think it probably ties to the fact that I had a lot of ear issues growing up. I had tubes yeah. in both of my ears. I had a lot of like ear problems and like surgeries and stuff. So maybe it started because I was like uncomfortable and was doing that. But that was like most did. of my childhood yeah. that I would just be like banging my head against the pillow until I fall asleep. So weird. Never suck my thumb or that anything, is, but that I used to do. That is interesting. I um, I think when I go to sleep too, I, I we talk a lot about dreams, whether you remember them or like lucid dreams, all that. I always like think about what I want to dream before I go to sleep, and then I kind of do. Like, I kind of can do go. that a little bit. Do I keep it the whole time? No, but like I kind of can like dream, make a movie if that makes sense. So you I know. got you. You're trying to force yourself to figure out what you're going to dream about that night. Yeah. Yes. I do that yes. occasionally. Yep, yep. Yep. I'm trying to c- control all aspects <laughs> of my life. <laughs> we'll see enough, even dreaming. <laughs> see how well that's working out for me. All right. We talked a lot about some TV shows, reality. We talked about some movies. There's more movies coming in December. We're excited to talk about, of course, our year end list. But for now, that's it. As always, we'll see you next week. Well, that's it for this episode of Wrong Opinions Only. Please follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints to upcoming episodes. Until then, JK out.